1 Thessalonians 4.13-5.11 And now, brothers and sisters, I want you to know what will happen to the Christians who have died, so you will not be full of sorrow like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised again, we also believe that when Jesus comes, God will bring back with Jesus all the Christians who have died. I tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not rise to meet him ahead of those who are in their graves. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the call of the archangel and with the trumpet of call of God. First, all the Christians who have died will rise up from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and remain with him forever. So comfort and encourage each other with these words. I really don't need to write to you about how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, for I know quite well that the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night, when people are saying all is well, everything is peaceful and secure. Then disaster will fall upon them as suddenly as a woman's birth pains begin when her child is about to be born, and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. And you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like others. Stay alert and be sober. Night is the time for sleep and the time when people get drunk. But let us who live in the light think clearly, protected by the body armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God decided to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. He died for us so that we can live with him forever, whether we are dead or alive at the time of his return. So, en so encourage each other and build each other up, just as you are already doing. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. Thank you, Jack. And what a powerful word it is. In this passage that we're in today, I'm excited for, I want to ask you a question before we get to the question of the day. Are you ready for what's coming? Are you ready for what's coming? And is it, isn't it interesting how the enemy has already changed what might come to your mind and your, uh, and your heart about how you feel about a question like that? If I had asked you in January of 2020, are you ready for what's coming? You probably would have felt substantially different than you do right now. Right, but, but the reality is, as brothers and sisters in Christ, brothers and sisters, nothing has changed about our reality about what is coming, and we need to be ready for that. In fact, the series we are in is called The Ready Disciple, and it came after the series we were in in Jonah called The Reluctant Disciple. And remember how reluctant Jonah was to go share the good news with the Ninevites because they were really not very nice people. And he was going to get persecuted. And that's what made him reluctant. Well, now we're not coincidentally, but by the providence of God, in a letter that is about the ready disciple and to be ready. But to be ready for what? One, to be ready to share the good news of the gospel with a world that needs to hear it. And two, to be ready for the Lord's return. We've seen that the, the ready disciple is a willing follower. We've seen that he is a proud parent. We've seen that he's a living testimony. And today we're going to see that he is, um, I don't even know what we're going to, we're going to see. We're going to, oh, a hope-filled sufferer. 
But the reason I was so little confused is because, because I don't want us to fixate, and the word sufferer is what came into my head, I don't want us to fixate on sufferer today because this passage we're looking at today is not about suffering. We've talked enough about that over the last few weeks. This passage is about the hope-filled sufferer. The suffering is just a product of living in a broken world as not yet fully redeemed or restored people. And so the suffering is just our reality, but the hope is in the gospel. And that's what we're going to see in this passage today. So the question we're asking today, it's on your little handout. If you picked one up on the way in, if not, we have extras. It's on the back of your bulletin is what in the world are you hoping for? What in the world are you hoping for? And guys, don't let that simple question, oh yeah, it's an easy answer. I'm hoping for Jesus. I'm hoping for, like, guys, don't, don't be flippant about it because how your heart really answers that question is gonna determine how you live out the next day, weeks, months, and years until he comes to get us. What in the world are you hoping for? And this passage is gonna show us two things, that we're hoping for the promise of the resurrection of all who believe in Christ, and the second part is on the day of his glorious return. That is what we are to be hoping for as Christians. And that's pretty much it, honestly. Like everything else is just gravy. Everything else is just God is a gift-giving God. But this is where our hope is to be found. So let's take a look at our first point. That what in the world are you hoping for? We are hoping for the promise of the resurrection for all who believe in Christ. So I'm going to pick it up. In verse 13. But what do you but, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Guys, here's here, right off the front, Paul is trying to address something in, in their church in Thessaloniki. Remember, and there's a, there's a thing still, still on our website, it's a 20-minute long introduction about how this whole letter got written and why it got written. But Paul had left them there. He'd only been with them for three weeks. He leaves. Timothy goes back there to see how they're doing. He comes back with a report that is they're, they're doing okay. But he also probably told Paul a few things. And one of them is, hey, these guys are being told that they missed the resurrection. That the resurrection already happened, and they missed it, or, and or they're being told that it's coming any minute, so just stop working, stop, and just get lazy. Both of those things were not true statements, so he's trying to say, guys, un, I, I need you to understand that our hope is still yet, and in the meantime, here's how you are to live, but guys, why does that matter? Here's why it matters, because he wants them fixed on the, the truth that when the Lord comes back, that's all that's going to matter. And the rest of this passage, both points, are all about when the Lord comes back, all that's going to matter is where you are with Jesus Christ. And, and, and why is that true? Why does he want them fixated on that? Because, and I've said this before many times, what we fixate on, we migrate towards. Whatever you are fixating on, we tend to start to become. That's why who you hang out with matters. That's why the kinds of shows that you watch matter. That's why the kinds of games you play matter. That's why, because inevitably, good stuff in, good stuff out, bad stuff in, bad stuff out, it's just part of how we are wired, right? So, so that's, and here's the other part. What, what we covet in our hearts, what captures our heart, 
will eventually conform our souls. Right, and so if 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 you see if you're in an unhealthy relationship with somebody, if you are struggling with some besetting sin that you just can't seem to get victory over, but you you've convinced yourself that it's okay, right? Ultimately, that will conform your soul into something that does not look like Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, please don't fall for this false teaching. Please don't believe. This, these false narratives that are going on just like we have them going on in the church, capital C church throughout the world today. Because wrong focus leads us to a couple of things. We either lose hope altogether, right? Or we live like nothing matters anyway. And neither of those things are living for the kingdom. It also gets us to live in, and this is what the enemy's been doing to us for the last 10 months or so, to get us to live in fear and doubt. Right? Why? Because, guys, do we really believe? Jeff and I were in our meeting this week, and we were talking, or last week, actually, I think it was, and we were talking about, do we really believe, like when Paul says in Philippians 1, for, for me to live is Christ, and to die is even better than that. Paul believed it. That's why Paul lived the way he lived. Because he really believed that, you know what, like, the, the best thing isn't, like, you say to somebody, hey, how are you doing today? Well, I'm up this morning. You know what? I, I get it. I, I say that a lot too, actually. It just kind of comes out of my mouth. But is that really the best thing? The reality is, if you're a believer in Christ, that isn't the best thing. To live is Christ and to die is even better than that. But if we don't really believe in the resurrection, it's why we had the calling passage we had, 1 Corinthians 15. If we don't really believe that Christ was raised from the dead, then we are, at mo we are of all the people in the world to be pitied. Why? Because... Man, our hope is, we have no hope. If Christ was not raised, we're not going to be raised. So what in the world are we doing? What are we doing here today then? Right? And, and ultimately, that's what Paul is trying to say to these people. It is the, it is the picture that Matthew talks, or that, that we saw in Matthew. We're going to see a lot. We saw a lot this week in Matthew 24 and 25, the, um, the, the focus on end times. But if you go, if you think back all the way back to Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said this, store up, but don't store up for yourself treasure in heaven where, rust, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves can come in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven because where your, tre where your treasure is, there your heart is going to be also. And so he's reminding us all the way back at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, guys, if our hope isn't set in heaven, then you cannot help but live for here and now. If your hope is not set in the there, there and then, you, you will be consumed in what is going on in your life here and now. But it's hard for us because we're, we're kind of stuck in the here and now, like we're here and now creatures. So how do we keep focused on the there and then? And that's where we're going to keep going. So look at, look at verse 15. For this I say to you by the word of the Lord, that he who is alive, that those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So what he's saying is, those of us that are still here, if the Lord were to come back today, those, we're not going with him before our loved ones who knew him are going to go with him. They get to go first. We'll keep going because it's going to become more clear a little bit later. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, a shout, get that, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Guys, that is a really noisy verse. 
right? There is a shout and there's a trumpet and there's an archangel. By the way, there's only a couple of those, Michael and Gabriel, and they are pretty impressive dudes. And when they shout, I am betting it's loud. And we're going to see Michael here in just a minute. But, but guys, there's, and, and this is going to come out throughout the message today, Lord willing, but this is why, is, so I guess I'll just get it out of the way up front. I didn't really know where I was, but I have been pre-tribulation my whole, that, my whole 25 years of being a believer. Because that's pretty, frankly what I was raised in spiritually. And man, I'm clinging to pre, pre-tribulation means that the church is raptured. That this scene that we're looking at right now, and that, and that Jeff read in 1 Corinthians 15, that it is, happens before the great tribulation, the seven years of tribulation. Man, I am clinging to that promise with everything in me. And when I look at my family, man, I'm like, please be pre-trib, Jesus. Like, seriously. Like, really. But I'll be honest with you, as I wrestle through this and I read the word, and this has been a journey I've been on for several years, I see it less and less in scripture. My heart still wants it, and I can still make a biblical case for it, but, I, but, I'm, but I'm looking at a passage like this, which is often used for pre-trib people. They're saying, see, this is where the rapture is, and we haven't gotten there. It's in verse 17, where he says, and then those who are alive and remain will be caught up. Well, the Latin word for caught up is where we get the word rapture from. And so it's this idea that, but, 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 which is a true statement, caught up, raptured up, like to be brought back up, raised from the dead, is a biblical truth that whether you're pre-trib or post-trib or mid-trib or whatever trib you are, you believe, if you're biblical, you believe in the resurrection. But, but what people will use this for is they'll say, so see, this is where Jesus is going to come in this secret coming, and he's going to rapture the church up, and then there's going to be a seven-year time of tribulation. And then he's going to come back and get us all and make everything right. And we looked through Revelation. We went through the whole book of Revelation and Daniel a couple years ago. You can watch or listen to all those online on our new message page on our website. So I'm not going to go back through all that again, except to say, I just don't see it here. Because what I see here is a whole lot of, hey, I don't know how this is a secret. There's a voice shouting. There's an archangel yelling. There's a trumpet blowing. Right? Like, like where, how is that a secret rapture? I think when Michael yells, the world's going to know, honestly. And so, so, I, so I look and I go, okay, so, so let me just finish up this part. He says, so those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with the Lord in the air, and, and we will meet him in the, in, in the clouds when the, with the Lord in the air, so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, and this is, remember, this is the point of this whole passage. Therefore, comfort one another with those words. Do you remember verse 13? We, I want you to know so that you will not be grieved, verse 14, as those who have no, I'm sorry, the end of verse 13, as those who have no hope comfort one another in verse 18. What, what is our ability to not be grieved? What is our ability to be comforted? It is to know that the bottom line is, whether he comes pre, mid, post, whenever he comes, that we will be with him forever and ever. That's where our encouragement is. This to, sorry, good thing I'm far away, this too shall pass. That ultimately, the, the point of this passage, the point of 1 Corinthians 15, the point of the is to say, this too shall pass. He came once on the cross to redeem creation and all those who call him Lord. He will come again to restore it. Exactly what that looks like, I don't really know. We talked about that a lot in our study in Revelation and Daniel. But I want you to find, right now, find Daniel chapter 12. Daniel's in your Old Testament. We're going to come back to, obviously, Thessalonians. Come, go to Daniel chapter 12. 
And again, please, please don't send me emails about why you think we're still pre-trib because unless you just want to encourage my soul so that I feel better about being pre-trib, like, like wanting that, because I, I get it. I get that we can go to, I was, I get that we could go to Revelation chapter three. Revelation chapter three, I told you to go to Daniel, go to Daniel, Daniel 12. Revelation 3, 10 and 11, it talks about how he will keep us from the hour of testing. And again, that's one of those, those places where I would go as a pre-tribber and say, see, right there it says that an hour of testing. Except that that whole phrase, hour of testing, does not translate into the seven years of tribulation necessarily. It could. It could also mean the hour that he comes for the great, for the great white throne judgment where he separates the wheats and the tares and the goats and the sheep, right? And, and it could also just mean that, that what Peter talks a lot about in his letters is that what appears to happen or what, what Peter appears to believe is happening is this ever-escalating turmoil and tribulation until the Lord comes back, until he says, enough, we're done the kingdom has been preached to the kingdom of the gospel of God has been preached to all nations. The end is coming, and here I come. But the whole this idea of, of a and this is where, where Paul is trying to go with the Thessalonians. This whole, is not like a New Testament thing. Jesus didn't invent this idea when he came the first time. In fact, like, even though we've, we've seen it as we've read through Matthew, even though we're, we've, this last week, if you read the daily readings in our D groups of Matthew 25, I mean, Jesus is speaking specifically about, I'm leaving when I come, here's what's going to happen. He didn't just invent that at the, on what we call the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and 25. It is throughout Scripture. In fact, even, even how, how Paul refers to, hey, there's going to be a trumpet blast, you know where that originally came from? You know where Paul is alluding to? When Moses would go to speak to God in Exodus 19 on the Mount, of, on the Mount it would say that as Moses got closer and closer, the trumpet would get louder and louder. And it was a way for God to let everybody know, I'm about to speak. Now, in Moses' day, Moses was the only one who heard, and then he would come down and be the mouthpiece for God for his people. Now we have the Holy Spirit. And someday when this comes back, when, or when Jesus comes back, we're, gonna, we're all going like, to actually hear him, see his revelation. But, but it comes from this idea. It, 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 in, in fact, in Job, one of my favorite verses is in Job 19. Right, Job, you guys know the story of Job. Sufferer, man, we think we've got it tough. None of, us have been, none, of us, none of us have been through a fraction of what Job went through. And yet, you know where Job held his, remember, our whole point of this message is hope-filled sufferer. Job was a sufferer. Where was his hope? He said, you know what? I believe that my Redeemer lives, and at the last, he will take his stand upon the earth. What does that, guys, that was written thousands of years probably before Christ came. What in the world is Job talking about? My Redeemer will take his stand upon the earth. He will, he's talking about the resurrection. He's talking about the fact that, he's talking about what we're going to, so look at Matthew, or look at Daniel 12. In verse 1, now at that time, Michael, remember the archangel in 1 Thessalonians 4 we just read, and there, will be, and, the, and there will be a shout from the archangel. Michael is one of those two. At that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time. Okay, let me back up a step. When was Daniel written? Where was Daniel when he wrote this? What happened to Daniel? We went through Daniel a couple years ago, but many of you weren't here. 
Daniel was in, ba- well, and at the time he wrote this, it wasn't even Babylon anymore. That's the, that's the crazy part. It was Persia. Daniel was taken as a, he saw his kingdom, the nation of Israel, destroyed by the Babylonians. He's taken to Babylon. He sees Babylon destroyed by the Persians because God's done with Nebuchadnezzar. So he raises up um, Cyrus to, um, to, to be the, the ruler. And he, um, and they destroy the Babylonians. So Daniel has watched kingdoms come and go. He has been through some really hard times. And he gets to this point and he says, and, and, and oh, by the way, all this happened in like 600 BC, 600 years before Christ. And here's what Daniel sees. I see Michael, a great prince, standing guard over his people at a time of distress such as never has occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. It's all referred back to the end of Revelation, and we covered all that before. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. Well, wait a second. Didn't we just read that in Thessalonians? Yes, we did, right? The dead in Christ will rise. It says everyone, and then it says, um, there some these to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. We'll come back there in a second. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Guys, don't let the darkness win. If I have to say that every week and every time I'm in front of you guys until he comes back, that's what I'm going to say. Don't let the darkness win. When you speak words of darkness, you are giving the enemy power. When you enter into dark, discouraging conversation, you are, invi- you are literally inviting Satan and his minions into that moment. And it's so easy to do, and I'm guilty of it five times a day. Oh, I'm sick of these masks. Oh, I'm sick of this politics. Oh, I'm sick. Because every one of those moments, I'm inviting Satan to join me in that. And, and he has power. Here's the solution. Shine brightly. Brightness, in fact, is bright as a star. And, and back to last week's teaching, fruit of 30, 60, 100 fold, lead many to righteousness. Because that's the mission. Guys, all of that was written 600 years before Christ. All of that was written 600, almost 700 years before the Gospel of Matthew was even written. It sounds just like the New Testament. Why? Because God has only ever been telling one story. He did not have a plan A in the garden that went south, so he came up with a plan B, what we call the Old Testament law, and that didn't work either, so he decided, I'll just try this Jesus thing and see if it works. His plan has only ever been Jesus. It will only ever be Jesus, and he will finish his story with Jesus. And guess what? Jesus is the point of the story. I'm not, you're not, our church is not, our nation is not. Jesus is the point of the story. Now come back to verse 2 of of chapter 12. Many who are in the dust of the ground will awake. So, and and that that actually happened the first time at the cross. I don't know if you remember that, but we'll get there this, this week in Matthew, right? It is finished. Stone, dead people rising out of the grave. Like, there's not a lot talked about there, and I can see why, because they were all probably just super freaked out. But um, I don't even know what to write about that, so I'm not gonna. It's probably what the gospel writers were saying. But um, but then it says, many to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Guys, understand this, and, and many of you have seen this before, but it's it's such a great picture. This right here, this red part of this line is is my life. Right, so, so the day I was born was this not, my, when I came out of my mom's womb, or actually nine months before that, when he knit me together in my mom's womb, and she's sitting right over there, this is the start of my life. 
When I die, that's the end of my life. So my fist is the end of my life. The dash in the middle, 1969, to whenever the Lord takes me home or comes again, that's my life. What does that dash stand for? And we're going to come back to that at the end of the message, Lord willing. But guys, here's the thing. This is not my life. My life keeps going and going and going and going even after I die. And here's what that verse in Revelation says, or in Daniel says, and here's what, we, what we're reading about in, um, in 1 Thessalonians. This is true for every soul that has ever been made in the image of God, and that is every person who has ever lived. Every person he has ever, it wouldn't come to an end, and so it's kind of like you didn't see that. So it would, every person who has ever lived, lives forever. The only question is address. That's it. The only question is where. And, and there's a, there's a, there's a, like a one, like what, where, and then there's like a one A. And what are you going to be doing when you get there? And that's it. But guys, we don't believe that. We don't, we believe that our life, even our life in Christ, is we make everything about this, about the dash. In fact, we do worse than that. We make it about a day. We make it about a dot in the dash. And it consumes our thinking when we're, what we're supposed to be thinking about is all of this. Because this is going to go on forever and ever and ever for everyone. In light of that, I want you to watch this little video that was shared with me by Adam. Father, I just, um, I thank you for how, how you just work everything together for good. Um, that Josh would ask us to pray for something that we need, that at our table, Christian would say, all we really need is Christ, that that would lead Karis to get up and sing a song um, about our, fo our focus being solely on you. Um, none of them knew that the video was going to be any, or what the message was even about. Um, and it's because your spirit moves on our hearts. And so, Lord, I want to pray right now. Uh, there, there's nothing that's going to come out of this mouth apart from your word and your gospel truth that's going to change hearts. But I know there are hearts in this room um, that are destined for a forever life apart from you. Lord, I pray that um, even over these next few moments as we continue to hear your word wash over us, that those hearts of stone become soft, receptive hearts of flesh. The psalmist said, Whom have I Whom have I in heaven but you? And apart from you, O oh Lord, I desire nothing on earth. Lord, may that be our heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. That is so often not my heart. And it's because I have my hope in the wrong things.
and I told myself I wasn't going to cry today. What in the world are you hoping for, Doug? Our only hope is in the promise of the resurrection of all believers on the glorious day of his return. So look at 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 1. He says, Now, as to the times and epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with, ch- with a child, and they will not escape. Guys, don't lose sight of the hope from chap- the end of chapter 4 as we look at the awesome day of the Lord in chapter 5, because Paul didn't want us to. There was no chapter 4 in chapter 5 when Paul wrote this letter. He is directly connecting the thought from chapter 4 into chapter 5. So what is this whole day of the Lord thing? Well, we'll get there in a minute because it's throughout Scripture. But before we do, because in the next few weeks and months and years that the Lord tarries, we're going to see people coming out of the woodwork who say that they know the hour and the day of his return. And it has always been so. In fact, you remember what I said at the beginning. The reason, part of why Paul puts this in the letter is because there were people in Thessalonica 20 years after Jesus was raised saying the resurrection had already occurred and you missed it. Right? We have to filter everything through the lens of Scripture. And guys, and part of what happens is because because if if you're semi-biblically literate, People will will not be bold enough to say, well, I know the day and the hour, but I do know the month and the season. And I just want to be crystal, crystal, crystal clear. No one knows. No one. Do you understand? When no one means no one, no one is no one. In fact, Jesus himself said, that as to the hour and the day, and that is a horrible translation, because what, like I said, what, what these what these charlatans will say and post and, and try to get us to believe is that, well, I'm not saying the hour and the day. Well, Jesus didn't say the hour and the day either. The words there for hour and day didn't mean hour and day. They meant season of time. He's saying, as ultimately, they're missing the whole point. What he's saying is, as for the timing of my return, as to make this crystal clear to my disciples, no one knows. In fact, the angels don't know. Guys, I'll let you in on a little secret. If God doesn't see fit to share it with Michael, why in the world would he reveal it to some brother somewhere in Brooklyn? I'm just asking. I'm just asking. We've got got to filter. Now, Now, we need to be able to Jesus said, we need to be able to see the signs. What are the signs? The signs are, things are getting worse. The tribulation is increasing. It is, all I know for sure is today we are a day closer than we were yesterday. And that, and Paul's whole point, scripture's whole point, Jesus's whole point is that should be enough. But we fixate on when, 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 when. Why? Because it allows us to hide behind the what in the world are we supposed to be doing until it happens. If I can just fixate on the win, then, then, then you know, I, can, I can really seem really intelligent and get people. It, it's just, no, because, because, guys, so many people over the eons have been led astray, horribly so, some literally to their death. 
by charlatans who said, I have figured out whether it was the exact day, and they've written books about it, 88 reasons why Jesus is going to come back in 1988. Guess what? When that happened, when it became 1989, that person didn't recant what they said. They just changed the date. This is what they do, right? But the point doesn't even matter. Here's the point. Who cares? Who cares when the day is? What matters is do what we're called to do today. Stop people from going over the cliff. That's what we're here for. That's why he said, otherwise he would take us home. None of that was in my notes either. I should probably just stick to my notes. The day of the Lord, day of the Lord. Okay, day of the Lord, we're not gonna go into it all, but here's the thing. The day of the Lord was a phrase that was used by seven of the 17 prophets of old, in the Old Testament, and it was used almost 30 times. And, but every time it's used in the, in the real vernacular, like, like as, as Paul is referring, in the, we know that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, it is what's called the awesome day of the Lord. And I don't mean awesome like, wow, that's radical. I mean awesome like, oh boy. Like every knee will bow and every tongue will confess awesome. Like, like we will, everyone will be at some level fearful, including the believers, because we will see him for who he really is. And there will be that moment of, and then there'll be a moment of that's my, and then his heart will resonate with our heart that we are children of God. And, and, and for us who are believers in Christ, we will be overjoyed. And for the rest, we won't. And we're and guys, if you haven't read this week's D groups from what I mean by this week's is last week's D group reading of, of, of Matthew 24 and 25, please read it. The whole thing is chapters, two really long chapters about Jesus saying, nobody knows when, live ready. Because if you're not right when I come back, it's too late and it's going to be really bad. So Paul keeps going and he says, and we're just going to finish it up with this. He says, but you brethren are not in the dark. You're not, you're not of the darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief for all the sons of the light are sons of the day. He's saying, remember Jesus, Matthew three, for you are the light of the world. He's saying, if you are the light of the world, you were once children of the darkness, but now you are children of light, Paul says in Ephesians 5. I think it is. He's saying, so act like it. Shine. For all the sons of light are the sons of the day. We are not of the night nor the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but be alert. There it is again. Be alert. Be ready. Live for the kingdom. Be sober. Guys, guys, our, here's, here's what's going on in the church in America. I'm just going to, this is, I, I was talking to Brian Tootin. He's off with Elijah today, but I was talking to Brian Tootin um, on the phone together. We were praying together this week and we were just talking about, and guys, here's what's going on in the church. Here's what's going on in our nation. We are suffering from a massive identity crisis. We are suffering from a massive identity crisis because we have identified ourselves poorly, wrongly. I've talked, we are, we are Americans who live in North Glendale, Peoria, who have a family that we love and want to take care of and, and want to make sure that they're all taken, who are, and, and somewhere down the road, oh yeah, I happen to be a Christian. And, and nobody would articulate, nobody, in the, I, I guarantee you, nobody in, our, in this room would articulate that. And we live that way all the time. Instead of saying, I am a Christian who happens to live at this time in America, who happens to live in North Peoria, who happens by the grace of God to have a beautiful family that's used by him for the kingdom, who happens to, like, that's, but, but because our identity is wrapped up in those other things, when we see those other things crumbling, what do we do? 
we lose hope. That's what's happening in the church. That's it. That's why our attendance is down even from what it was in June and July. That's why every church, that's why Redemption's attendance over the, across the valley is half of what it was before. Because, we, because our identity was wrapped up in something else, and when that something else failed us, we went, oh man. And that something else could be the church, it could be your marriage, it could be your family, it could be your finances, it could be your president, it could be the whoever. But we've got to get back to having the right identity. We just have this massive identity crisis. And we've got to get past it. And one of the ways, this is Paul's solution to this whole, th- is, is one of the ways is to say, in verse 7, for those who sleep, do their sleeping at night, and those who are drunk, get drunk at night. But since you are of the day, let us be sober, sober having put on a breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of our salvation. He's going all the way back to the beginning of the thought and saying, guys, here's where our hope is. Our hope is not here and now. Our hope isn't, oh my, those people died. What happened? Our hope is found in the salvation. Our, our hope and our identity has to be wrapped up in believing that Jesus will fulfill his promise. If it's not, it will be short-lived. So here's what I want you to do. At your table, at your table and I know um, we're past time, and this time it's not my fault. And, um, but there's a table talk question. It's on the back of your connecting points. And I just, I just want to be able to share around the room. So I am going to ask people, so be ready. So it says the resurrection can seem far away. So remember, the, the whole reason, the whole thing is, Paul is trying to encourage this church by saying, guys, not our home, not our time. We are kingdom people living for a kingdom that is to come. But but we live here and now. And so so it's like, man, that's that's great. But what about today, Doug? Okay. So whether you're wondering when it's going to happen or how, what gives hope for today, but maybe that is because we don't think about it like we should or as often as we should. So here's what I want you to do. Just, and and you, don't have to, you can write them down if you want, but I'm going to ask some tables to share. Come up with a little list of things that the future resurrection gives us hope in that will help you get through today. So think about something like, here's my struggle, like what, what am I struggling with? And, and how does the fact that he is coming again going to give you hope when you walk out of here today? Go. Okay, so just something at your table, like what's, the, what's one thing if I pointed at you, your table could yell out real quick? Just short answer, something, one thing, and everybody's looking down like, please don't call me, please don't call me, please don't call me. And I get that these are really hard, so I'm going to start right here. One thing. No doubting. No doubting. Okay. Kim. Hope. Gives us hope for tomorrow. Good. Um, Brian, what'd your table come up with? No what? No anxiety. Awesome. Good. Sean. Focus. Awesome. Good. We get to see God's face. Awesome. Good job. Good job. Okay. So as the music team's coming up, I want to just, and we're going to go into a song of response. The song of response is, it is well with my soul. And if you know the history of that song, you know that the man who wrote it, right, his children his wife and some of his children died in a, um, well, was, the man had a horrible life. He was probably like a modern day Job in a lot of ways. Um, and, and yet, because of the truth of the lyrics that he wrote, 
he was able to sing this, his heart was able to sing this song. But here's what's interesting about this man. At the end of his life, he lost focus. At the end of his life, he denied Christ. Very few people know that about him. How does that happen? How does a man who writes this powerful song end up denying because he lost hope? Right? Because he stopped renewing his mind with the truth of God's word and started listening to the lies of the enemy. So even if all you do is sit here and be still for the next three minutes while they sing this song, like, like, like pray that the Spirit, in fact, I'm just going to pray right now. Father God, I pray in the power of the Holy Spirit over my precious brothers and sisters that you would make the words of this song true in our heart and that you would keep them there. That regardless of what is going on in our nation, regardless of what is going on in our family, regardless of what is going on in our finances, whatever it is, that we would be able, that our hearts would be able to sing out because we know that the promise of the future resurrection is sure. We would be able to say, it is well with my soul. In Jesus' name, amen.